We're going to turn now to the Bible. And so we are in the middle of a series here called From When the End is the Beginning. As we look at the end of Luke's Gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts, when Jesus has died and then risen again, and then the church is birthed. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. And the words are going to come up on the screen. Uh, and it's a long passage. We're going to read this, the original narrative of Pentecost. But uh, it might be this is a familiar passage for you, or you may have never heard it before. The words are on the screen, or you may find it helpful to close your eyes and imagine being there as these amazing events take place. Let's read together Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own late native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. And they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart's glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tombs here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he'd place one of his descendants on his throne. But seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised his, raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven and yet said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's ask God to help us to understand that passage as Marcus comes. Father, we thank you for the birth of the church, that you're alive today speaking and empowering us by your Holy Spirit. Be our teacher now, we pray. As Marcus speaks, would we hear the very words of God? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're, as Tim has already mentioned, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2 in this series, When the End is the Beginning. And uh, specifically for this morning, we're going to look at being empowered. The title is Empowered. The Holy Spirit came and empowered God's people. I wanted to find out a little bit, what does, what does the internet, what does Google say about empowered or empowerment? And uh, I found this one definition I thought was quite good. Authority or power that belongs to one and is given to another to do something. That's what empowerment is defined as. Authority or power that belongs to one and is given to another to do something. I like that. Um, there were some other definitions, including this one, um, which is the process of making oneself stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. Now, I would suggest, though, that what we're seeing in the book of Acts is not that definition. Okay? It is not about self-empowerment at all. In fact, uh, it's probably put better by a, a, uh, an American entrepreneur, John Rampton. He's, he's uh, founder of the uh, Sell Your House website known as pixlu.com. 
He's a, um, uh, quite a, a uh, constant contributor to Forbes mag magazine, uh, one of these really influential guys. And he said, empowerment, empowerment isn't just a buzzword amongst leadership gurus. It's a proven technique where leaders give their teams the appropriate training, tools, and resources, and guidance to succeed. Now, this is what we're really looking at here in Acts. The leader of a band of 12 men and 100 or so other followers gave something or someone to them that would assure their success and the success of his mission. And this morning, we're going to look at six ways the Holy Spirit empowered his people in Acts chapter 2. But first, though, I'd like us to, to have a look or just sort of reflect on the events that had just taken place. Now, there had been a lot of stuff happening in Jerusalem, not just in Jerusalem, in Judea as well. All of this before this special Jewish holiday called Pentecost, a holiday that incidentally celebrates the, uh, not just the harvest, but also it actually commemorates the giving of the law to Moses and Israel in Sinai. Well, what was taking place in those days before this holiday, there was mob violence uh, that was happening in, in Jerusalem and other areas around there. The holy city itself was on the brink of rebellion, it seemed. A severe earthquake shook the place. Intense darkness, not just any old solar eclipse, darkness that, that covered the land for three hours. Violent storms. And a Jewish rabbi, a carpenter by trade from a small town called Nazareth, one that many believed was the promised Messiah, was crucified by the Romans and then mysteriously brought back to life. Now, our story in Acts chapter 2 begins with Jesus' followers waiting for this Feast of Pentecost, so-called because in the Greek, Pentecost means 50, and it, would, it uh, fell 50 days after the Jewish Passover. And all these Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world were in the city. Now you see there a, a map which shows sort of the, the ancient world at that time. And it's a bit difficult to see, but, but the, uh, the names, the, the place names in, in red are those places that are mentioned in the book of Acts. Those uh, ethnic groups, those people groups that were represented there in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on them as a great wind and, and something like flames seem to appear over each person's head. And together, they start announcing and telling stories of God's mighty deeds. And they're speaking in all these Languages that they didn't know before, but all the people gathered there, they seemed to understand it perfectly. Now, I think in order to see what, what Luke, the writer, uh, is, is trying to do in this account, Luke is really emphasizing in this story something that's very crucial and that's, that is seen in the Old Testament that really has its roots there in the Old Testament, all these images that, that come up. First of all, there's, there's the wind, there's fire. This is a, a, a direct allusion to the stories about God's glorious fiery presence that would fill the tabernacle or the temple. And it's also connected as well with the, uh, the prophetic promises 
that were made in the Old Testament, that God would come and live by His Spirit in the new temple of the Messianic kingdom. So here in Acts, God's fiery presence comes to dwell not in a building, but in His people. Luke is saying that, that the new temple promised by the prophets is Jesus' new covenant family. It's the people of Jesus, which also connects to then the second thing which Luke is trying to say here. So the prophets promised that, that when God came to dwell in his new temple, he would reunify all the, the tribes of Israel under the messianic king, and that the good news of God's reign would, would go out and be announced to the nations. And Luke then describes in detail this international, this multi-tribe makeup of Israelites who were there at Pentecost and who also responded to Peter's message. And so the apostles, they keep calling the Israelites to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. And so then we see by the end of the chapter that thousands upon thousands are responding and they're forming new communities of generosity, of worship, of celebration together. And as already mentioned, what has happened is that God has empowered the disciples through the risen Jesus by sending the Holy Spirit to fill them and to give them authority to carry on the work of the kingdom that Jesus had started. So how does the Holy Spirit do this? And for what specific purpose or purposes does, does God empower the followers of Jesus? And perhaps more importantly for, for us today, does the Holy Spirit still do this today for us? Of course, I would say a big yes, he does. So let's have a look for a moment at these six different ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit empowered them to unite. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us as well. The Holy Spirit empowers us to unite. Now, one story that, that really would have come to mind in, in many of the readers of, of Luke's account here, uh, especially those that were familiar with the Old Testament, would be the story of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, we read there that the whole world, this is now thousands of years, thousands of years before uh, these events took place, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And so they used bricks instead of stone. They used tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Hmm. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, from there all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel, or Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Now, 
after this, humans would continue to try to make a name for themselves. And isn't it so even to this day? That's what this self-empowerment is really all about, isn't it? But Pentecost is a reversal of the curse of Babel. Just as at Babel, God at Pentecost does come down in power. And rather than confusing their language, he provides for each believer the language needed to communicate the message of Jesus. They become one people, speaking not the same language, but the same message. One message. And truly, as God had prophesied at Babel, nothing would be impossible for them. The message of Jesus and the Christian faith would be scattered throughout all the nations. And we still speak many different languages today, but now we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to unite with fellow believers and call humanity to live in God's kingdom. So, but you might be thinking, though, this phenomena of speaking in tongues, it's so strange. And the New Testament, it's true, it, it has a number of occasions, quite a few, where it mentions tongues being used to pray. And that brings us to our next point, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to pray. Perhaps even in ways that we never thought possible before. Now, the Greek term that's used for tongues in the New Testament is this strange word called glossolalia. And there's a difference between the tongues of Acts chapter 2 and the ecstatic tongues that are, that are used to communicate with God and, uh, as found in other parts of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, those tongues were understandable by the Jews that had gathered from different nations around there in Jerusalem. There are other occasions, though, where tongues are mentioned when we don't know what languages were spoken or even if they were humanly constructed languages. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he, he says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. They utter mysteries in the Spirit. And time and again in Acts, after Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit coming down and filling people. The next occurrence will be not the Holy Spirit filling Jews. It would be the Holy Spirit filling Gentiles, Romans even, Cornelius and his family. And we then hear them once again praying in tongues and, and prophesying in tongues. You know, Brother Andrew from Open Doors had this to say about tongues, and I love what he says here. In all history, there has never been a more important role for this prayer language than to intercede for today's polarized world. Because bringing a new dimension into any needful situation is what speaking in tongues is all about. It is the language of love using God's own vocabulary, the perfect idiom for bringing to any problem the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think that the tongues spoken were unintelligent and meaningless, I think you have to think again. Because we see very clearly through this story that the Holy Spirit also empowers us to use reason, to think through our life situation, our experiences, even our education, to see if what God presents to us in the Bible, in His Word, is really valid for us today. 
You know, this, um, this sermon that Peter preaches to the Jews there, it's his first sermon, actually, after Jesus uh, has ascended to heaven. And it's the first time prophetic scripture has been publicly explained by one of Jesus' followers to have been a fulfillment or have been fulfilled through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter explains in a very logical way all what's happened in Jerusalem. A very well thought out argument. First of all, he recalls the prophecy. He proclaims that what has happened is a prophetic fulfillment from the book of Joel to Israel. A prophecy that had been made hundreds of years prior to this event at a time when parts of Israel and, uh, and Judea were well, they were going through a catastrophic locust plague, of all things. But then Peter goes on to outline the evidence. Jesus was and is this Lord whom Joel is talking about. Israel's deliverer. And we are witnesses to his power and the miracles that he did. And you killed him. Next, Peter then evaluates the situation. Listen, he says, it's not all bad because the Lord, after all, is everlasting. He is the giver of hope. He is the giver of life. He is the conqueror of death. And as King David wrote about uh, in the Psalms, this was all predestined by God. It was all a part of his plan. Next, Peter deduces the result. We know David was speaking about the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, because David, he's still here in the tomb. And Jesus has been raised. We witnessed it. David never ascended into heaven, but he prophesied that, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, would say to his Christ, his Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Sometimes I thought, it's kind of confusing, you know, Jesus sitting at the, the right hand of the Father, and I guess that makes, makes the Father a, a lefty, I don't know, and a bit of carpentry skills making a footstool there. <laughs> this is how you'll do it in Nazareth. I don't know. He presents, though, finally, the conclusion. Israel, make no mistake, Jesus, whom you crucified, has been made both Lord and Christ by God. Jesus equals Lord, equals Messiah, equals Savior. Which brings us to our next point, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to save ourselves? Yes. It sounds very strange, but it's not talking about self-empowerment here. The Bible is very clear that salvation belongs to God. But Peter clearly presents some necessary steps that the Jews and we must take if we are to be saved from this day of the Lord. Now, by the way, what is this day of the Lord? This phrase, this, this concept, it occurs nearly, nearly 200 times in the Old Testament. It's seen as a disaster day, a judgment day for the nations that surrounded Israel. It's also talked about in other passages as a judgment on Israel and Judah themselves. It's, it's talked about as a judgment on the Jewish people for falling away from the God of Israel. But it's also seen as a future deliverance 
a blessing for Israel, for Judah, for other nations, and even for creation as a whole. And years later, the Apostle John would, would even have revelations of, of Jesus as, as, a, as a rider on a white horse bringing justice and, and eventually peace to the nations, to creation. According to the prophet Joel, the day of the Lord will see poured out spirit, prophecies and visions for all God's people, signs and wonders, catastrophes as well. And Luke's record on the death of Jesus includes, well, before he died, it includes miracles, doesn't it, that Jesus did. Signs, wonders, the blind and lame being healed, people rising from the dead. And then at Jesus' death, he records the sun's light failing, three hours of thick darkness upon the land, a violent earthquake that causes the temple veil to be torn in two. And another apostle, Matthew, who records in his gospel, he records boulders and rocks splitting, tombs cracking open, dead people seen coming out of the tombs, walking around Jerusalem. And even the centurion assigned to, to execute Jesus and his whole cohort that carried out the execution, they exclaimed that they are sure this criminal was innocent and that, in fact, he must have been a son of the gods. Now, if that's not apocalyptic and catastrophic enough, I don't know what is. But as terrifying as all this sounds, the prophets do make mention that we are able to be saved. And Peter highlights this. He highlights this very aspect from Joel's prophecy, saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he tells them, repent, be baptized. He later pleads with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And that is what is so amazing about the, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to choose how we will live. Will we live trying to feebly empower ourselves or will we let God empower us and really transform our lives? Peter and the followers of Jesus are also given this power to both rebuke and forgive. And Peter pulls no punches. You, he says, you, I can just imagine him pointing at the Jews, you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And later again, he reminds them, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the Jews ask what they should do, he instructs them with authority, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And I think many in our society would, would find this rather uncomfortable. Who am I, you might be thinking, who am I to, to tell people what's right or wrong? I can't pass judgment on people and... Judgment is often seen as a, as a bad thing. But, you know, I believe as well, when we keep silent about the issues that we see in our world, in our society, in our community, even in our friendship circles, when we are silent about those issues, those, those things that are definitely unjust and wrong, to keep our mouths shut or to turn a blind eye, I think this is just as great a travesty. 
The Holy Spirit has given us the power, the authority, both to sharpen our consciences and sense of justice as well as to freely give forgiveness. And in many cases, many instances, forgiveness seems just as humanly impossible as, as anything else we might experience. Judy has shared, um, she shared just a, a month or so ago, just some, some powerful testimonies of people who were able to forgive in situations that seemed like, how on earth could you ever forgive here? But the Holy Spirit empowers us as well to forgive. Finally, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and to testify. Empowered by the spread of the message at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gave Jesus' followers the power to speak in, in languages they'd never known to a, a people they possibly had never met and to preach a message that many had never heard, that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Lord, the Messiah, the Redeemer that Israel has been waiting for all this time. It is the end of a monopoly that the Jews of Israel had on the Messiah, and it's the beginning of a message of hope and salvation for all nations and all ethnic groups. As Jews from all over the ancient world gathered there in Jerusalem and accepted the message, they too were filled with the Holy Spirit. They too were filled with with God himself, his spirit, which started a new multi-ethnic, a cross-cultural dimension to the church. And I'm sure that Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven uh, were echoing, echoing in their ears. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be in my witnesses in Jerusalem, Wait, not just Jerusalem. In Judea? Wait, not just Judea. To all the ends of the earth. And that's why we, at Riverside as well, we, we want to send out people like Steve and Mahela to places like Romania. We want to support and pray for people like Gabby right here in our own community who's, who's sharing the love of God with, with Romanian people. Others as well that come to mind, Dave and Helen Smithers, we were just praying for them yesterday, who are over in uh, South Asia, who have gone to, to share this message of hope with people, many of whom have never heard. Now, I know that the subject of the Holy Spirit can be controversial amongst Christians especially when it comes to discussing things like tongues, prophecy, healing. And I have to tell you, I was brought up in a church uh, background that, that really neglected the teaching on the Holy Spirit. And it was sort of hush-hushed. But I think one thing we can all agree, each of us, we all need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this morning, if this is something that you would like us to pray for you, so that you too can, can be empowered to live in unity with those that are hard to live with, so that you too can be empowered to, to pray in a way that really communicates your heart to God, 
to reason and make sound judgments that will direct the course of your life. If you want to be empowered to, to find salvation through true repentance and forgiveness, or perhaps even to go and testify to the hope you may have found or, or are hoping to find, then I would invite you this morning to, well, as I'm going to pray or as uh, in, in a few minutes, I would invite you to, to move to the side where there will be a prayer team that, that will pray for you, that will pray with you, that you too can receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered by God. So let's just pray together now. Father in heaven, we, we love you. We worship you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. And we acknowledge that you are Savior. You are Lord. You are Messiah. We thank you so much for what you did for us on the cross. And we thank you as well for your Holy Spirit that you promised. You promised your disciples that you would send to them to be that comforter, to be the one that would empower us to do the work that you have prepared for us. Father, I just want to pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon the lives of each and every person who calls upon your name. Lord, that they would be empowered to unite with those that perhaps they have in the past had difficulty being with, that they would, that they would be able to pray in that language that would really communicate what they have in their heart to you, Lord, that they would be empowered to find reason and instruction to make sound and wise judgments in the paths that you have prepared for them, and that they too would, would find salvation, true repentance and forgiveness, and even go themselves to be your witness in this world. Thank you so much, oh God, for what you have done for us. We commit ourselves into your hands now and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.